Welcome everyone to today, Sunday class. We're on, we're starting chapter 20. This is the you know, uh, last two chapters left now of this book. It's the subtlest portion of this book. Why is it the subtlest? Any idea? Why is it subtlest? Why is it the subtlest portion? Yeah, Magna. Is it because it's related to God and the self? God, the self, which is the subtlest you can get. But God and, and the self is unknown. That's the, that's the, it's unknown to us. Everything that we've studied so far is being known to us. Not directly, maybe, but indirectly, you've know, you, you know of it. It's all to do with the world. It's all to do with you, your personality. You all know that. The world and its components, the, all human beings, is, is known to us. The body, the mind, the intellect is known to us. What is not known to us is the Atman, the enlivening factor within us. That's what we don't know, which is the unknown. Some of you may have never have heard of the enlivening factor, Atman being the enlivening factor within us, until you came across this subject. So it really is unknown. Self, Brahman, Father in heaven, Allah, God, these all mean the same thing. They are all unknown to us, even though we may have heard of it. So these last two chapters tries to give us some understanding of what this unknown entity is. Give us some idea. We all say God, God, but we don't know what God is. So we try to get some idea. Now, in order to get some idea of this unknown, God, we will go through each component, but you will have to put your own efforts in, contemplate, a bit of studying on the descriptions that we cover. You will have to think about it. Only then you'll get some idea, some picture of this unknown, this phenomenon we call God, because it's subjective. You know, if we say all-pervading, it could mean different things to different people. So we really have to think about it ourselves. So we're going to go through these descriptions fairly quickly, um, because as I said, um, you have to put your own efforts in. This whole last two chapters is something you really have to put your own efforts in. Any questions before we begin? And any general questions, questions regarding anything we've covered so far? Please feel free to ask now. My trusted friend here has a question. So somebody might say, I know God. Okay. Would you say that they don't, or they're just deluded or what? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. See, that some pe people may say, yes, I know God. And they're not wrong. They know maybe an aspect of God that they may have covered or read about. What we're going to go through is what the self-realized souls, Upanishads, 
explains all this, the self-realized souls who have experienced self-realization, experienced that oneness with the self, Brahman, their account of what is God. And that's the closest you're going to get. So I'm not saying if someone says, I know God, that they're wrong. They're not. But what we're covering is as comprehensive as we can, the closest we can. So, okay. Any other questions? Okay. So the first topic is the Supreme God. So everything we talk about is God now. The Supreme God. So everything we've covered so far, you have to make that knowledge available now. So you can get an understanding of what this unknown is. Take the cobwebs out. Try and remember some of these aspects. Okay, Supreme God. Who's reading for it? Is it Ravi? Yeah, Ravi. The Supreme God, the perceiver and the perceived, the individual and the world, the experiencer and the experienced. Everything, every being, everywhere is the ultimate reality. The Supreme God known as Brahman. There exists nothing other than Brahman. The entire phenomenon of the play of plurality of things and beings, of names and forms is mere a superimposition upon the one reality, an illusory projection upon Brahman. But the superimposition does not make Brahman any less or more. It remains the same, immaculate, infinite, the same, the individual, the world, everything, everything in the world, everywhere, all of us is Brahman. There's nothing other than Brahman that exists. If you get that statement, you're done. Finished. The whole world is just an illusion. We've covered this. A projection on Brahman. But we see the world and not Brahman. That's the problem. That's why we need this knowledge. We see the world, we don't see Brahman. Right now, we said everything is Brahman, all of us. You, understand, you, you accept that by principle, but you don't believe that. The minute this class is finished, it's lost, it's forgotten. It's written, so you, you say to yourself, yes, everything's Brahman. But you don't believe it. We see the world and not Brahman. Just like the boy sees the snake instead of the rope. The boy sees a snake, not a rope, because he is, is ignorant of the rope. So he's saying this world is an illusion, a projection on the reality, just like a projection on a white screen. We see the projection, the image, not the screen. We forget there's a screen there. We get so involved in the picture, the movie, whatever's been projected, we forget all about the screen. Who remembers the screen while they're watching a movie? None of us. Why? Get involved in the movie. Similarly, this world, all of us, is a projection on Brahman. But we get involved in that, in that experience. We forget all about Brahman. Just like we don't we forget all about the white screen. So it's saying, no matter what you project on the screen, the screen remains the same. Doesn't matter what movie you project, the screen stays the same, correct? Similarly, this projection of the world on Brahman does not make Brahman any more or less. It maintains its original properties, still remains the same. So this is one aspect of Brahman now we just covered. The fact that this whole world is projected on Brahman, Brahman remains the same. Any questions? 
to just absorb as much as you can. And there's a there's a, a verse, very famous verse in the Upanishads to explain this. An invocation in the ancient text of the Upanishad pronounces this truth. And you may have heard of it. Many of you may have heard of it. And it goes, Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnapurnamudajyate Purnasaya Purnamadaya Purnamevavshishashyate Which translates as Om that is infinite this is infinite. Infinite has come out of infinite. Take away infinite from infinite. What remains is infinite. This is what the verse is saying. Ada means that. That refers to the supreme reality. Purnamada means that. The supreme reality, Brahman. Purnamidam is this. This refers to the world the pluralistic phenomenon projected upon Brahman. Brahman is supreme infinite. So this is a very famous verse from the Upanishads to explain that, what we've just covered. Ravi, you can leave the verse out. It's okay, Ravi, just the next paragraph after that. Translation. Om that is infinite, this is infinite. Infinite has come out of infinite. Take away infinite from infinite. What remains is infinite. Ada means that. That refers to the supreme reality, Brahman. Adam is this. This refers to the world, the pluralistic phenomenon projected upon Brahman. Brahman is supreme, infinite, inconceivable by the intellect. The world also appears infinite in nature. The world has emerged from Brahman, but Brahman is not any less. It remains the same, unaffected, unchanged. The thing, Brahman is infinite. The human intellect has trouble trying to understand infinite. cannot imagine, conceive Brahman. Intellect, as we said before, words cannot describe it. It's too subtle. So Brahman is infinite. The world also seems infinite in nature since it has come from Brahman. But regardless of that, Brahman is unaltered, remains infinite. So Brahman doesn't change no matter what. This is what it's saying. So you just takes your imagination into a different realm, these, uh, these explanations, these thoughts. So even if you read the Upanishads, when you read the Upanishads, if you think about it and contemplate, it takes you to a different realm completely, to another universe, the thought of it. It's quite magical. Any questions? So what do you get out of this? Brahman is infinite. Ready. This truth is akin to lighting many candles from a single flame. Numerous flames arise from that one flame. Yet the original flame is not any less. It remains the same, unchanged. So it is with Brahman. The universe has emerged from Brahman, yet it remains ever the same. The infinite cosmos is drawn out of infinite Brahman. What remains is infinite Brahman, as in mathematics, infinite minus infinite is infinite. This whole world, this whole projection of the world, this universe, all these animals, beings, all of us, even regardless of all this projection, Brahman remains the same. Just like a flame of a candle is not any less, no matter how many candles you light from it, 
it's like a parallel example. You have a candle, you can light 100 candles from it. Does the flame of the original candle become any less? It remains the same. Similarly, Brahman remains the same no matter what. It is infinite. As in maths, infinite minus infinite equals infinite. Similarly, no matter what comes out of Brahman, it remains the same. Any questions? Okay. As I said, we're going to go through these quite quickly. Ravi. Another example is that of numerous garments made of cotton. Cotton is spun into yarn, yarn woven into cloth, and cloth made into garments. All these have come out of cotton. Nevertheless, cotton is not any less. Cotton remains as cotton, be it in its original state or in the variety of garments produced. For example, no matter what you create from cotton, shorts, blouse, t-shirts, socks, bedsheet, cotton remains the same. Cotton remains as cotton. Nama rupa, name and form. Similarly, it says Brahman remains the same regardless of what it's created. These are two examples, the flame of a candle and cotton. Does everyone understand or get an idea of the example? Dharmesh? Yeah, good. Yes, Dharmesh. So, if Brahman is the beginning of everything, so we talk about good and evil, so Brahman is the evil as well, because it comes from the source. Does Brahman... Okay, so this whole universe, we say, is a projection on Brahman. We see the world. What is the world made of? There's a, we're going to cover this bit, what you're asking in today's class. What is the world made of? The nature of the world is what? We don't understand that it's Brahman. Therefore, what is the world made of? Go back to the beginning of this book. What is the world made of? Huh? Pairs of opposites. If there were no pairs of opposites, there would be no world. Day and night, birth and death, good and bad. This is what makes up the world. Said to me yesterday, why is there so many evil people? If there weren't, it wouldn't be the world. This is the characteristic of the world. So, but everything comes from Brahman, yes. But it's not because of Brahman that there are evil people or there's good people. This is the nature of the projection. We create it in our minds. People's desires, vasanas. But ultimately, it's all Brahman. Now, you can either identify with the good people or the evil people, or you can identify Brahman. It's up to you. That choice is yours. If you identify Brahman, there are no good or evil people. Everyone is the same. It's up to you what you choose to identify with. There is no good or evil people in the world. Everything is Brahman. Does that help you, Dharmesh? Yes. Thank you. Any other clarifications? So it's up to you what you want to uh, identify with. But you're absolutely right. Good and evil exists in the world because this is the world. But ultimately, everything is Brahman. That's what it's saying. Just as socks, shorts, blouses, T-shirts, all come from cotton, but cotton is cotton. Yeah. All different size socks. Some fit you, some don't fit you, but it's all cotton. 
it's very subtle. You really have to think about these examples. Okay, next paragraph. These examples and illustrations serve as, a use, as useful pointers to conceive Brahman, though it is indefinable, inconceivable. They go a long way to explain the inexplicable so that the human intellect can formulate some idea of its magnitude and magnificence. As we said, these descriptions is the closest you will get to understand what God is. Even though we can't understand God, some pointers it's giving you, hey, this is what God is like. They give us some pointers towards the unknown. This is how this unknown is. These are the qualities. And how can we describe this unknown with the knowledge of the language that we have? See, we have, we have, we've understood English. We've studied English. We're talking in English. The capacity of the English language to explain this unknown as far as we can go. And in some words, we can't even understand. We'll go through some of the words. Meghna, when she reads, some of the words, English words, we don't even understand. How are we supposed to understand the unknown. You see the problem. You see? And now we understand it. Imagine you go to the jungle. How would you explain to someone who doesn't even understand any language in the, what Brahman is? It's impossible. Any questions? Ravi. The most direct and practical example is the experience of the dream. The phenomenon of the dream proceeds from the mind. The dream consists of the dreamer and the dream world. The dream world also compromises infinite pairs of opposites, things, and beings, names and forms. The creation of the dream world does not render the mind any less. The mind remains just the same, unaffected, unsullied by the projection of the dream. In fact, all aspects of the dream are mere thoughts of the mind. The variety of thoughts have assumed these forms. As long as the dream lasts, the dreamer will not realize the insubstantial nature of the dream world. The dreamer experiences the solidarity reality of the dream world, just as the waker experiences that of the waking world. Only when the dreamer crosses the dream world, wakes up into the waking world, the waker realizes the entire dream world to be a figment of his mind. This is a, the, the most specific example you can get, the most profound example, the dream, and everyone can relate to it because everyone goes to sleep in the night and dreams. It says, even though the dream originates from the mind, when you go to sleep, where does the dream mind, where does the dream come from? Your own mind. Not my mind, your mind. And in the dream, the dreamer creates a world. Pairs of opposites, even in the dream. Similar properties as the waking world. Name and form. Good and bad. No matter what you create in the dream, the mind remains unaffected. You all with me? You can create a whole universe in the dream in the night. Projection of the mind. Does the mind change in any way? There's no different. The mind remains unaffected. And whilst in the dream, the dreamer has no idea of the meaningless nature of the dream world. The dreamer does not know this is a dream. It's real to him or her. It's saying it is similar to the waker experiencing the waking world. 
when the dreamer wakes up, only then he understands that it was a dream. The waker understands it was all a dream. So they're saying that the waking world is no different. Just as when one wakes up from the dream, one understands the dream was a figment of one's mind. Similarly, when the waker wakes up from this reality, self-realization, he understands this whole waking world was another dream. This is what it's saying. Next paragraph explains it. Similarly, the waking world and its infinite phenomena are nothing but different aspects of Brahman. The waker does not recognize this truth as long as he is in the waking state, just as the dreamer does not realize the nature of the dream world while he is in the dream. But the moment the waker recognizes the self, Atman, Brahman, rises from the waking state to the self-realization. He apprehends the whole truth that the waking world is yet another illusory projection, that Brahman alone is the reality. The waking world is part of Brahman. The waker does not understand this while he's in the waking state. Just like the dreamer in the dream doesn't understand it's a dream. When the waker realizes Brahman, becomes self-realized, he understands that the waking world is an illusion. Only Brahman is real. Just like the dreamer wakes up from the dream world to the waking world, the waker realizes it was just a dream. Similarly, with knowledge of Brahman, experience of Brahman, experience of self-realization, you then understand this is just a dream. Any questions? So everything we've learned now comes to this conclusion. So if you haven't paid attention in previous classes, then you're not going to get the whole, <laughs> which is okay. You won't get it first time, so it, it takes a bit of effort. Any questions? Any questions? So you had a question? Yeah. So when we talk about the waking world and the dream world, the dream world comes to an end every day because we don't remain asleep. Hmm. And as a way we understand that this was what I dreamt was only a dream, it wasn't real. But if we're thinking about the fourth state, it's not just as easy as waking up the next day. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. effort, because you have to make a transition, it's not just a question of waking up. Yeah. So what's the question? It seems impossible. The question is that it seems impossible. Mission Impossible. You've been watching too much Mission Impossible, I think. You've been watching Mission Impossible all week. <laughs> yes, it is impossible. Because we're in the waking world, just as the dreamer that thinks it's impossible that this is not a dream. Similarly, we find it difficult to understand, impossible to understand that this is not real. And it takes a lot of effort. I mean, what do they say? One in a generation gets to that state. One in a generation. That's how difficult it is. But that doesn't mean that the journey, the journey itself is elevating. It's life-changing takes you to another realm. You may not reach that level, but even getting to a state of 50% is life-changing. How is it life-changing? Any idea? How is it life-changing? Yeah, just snubbin. You need to get closer to your laptop. 
Can't hear. I'm still muffled. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Okay, You're less aggravated with the world and yourself. Yeah. See, all of us, absolutely, Dermesh. You're less aggravated. Anybody else? Any other aspects? See, every one of us is looking for peace and happiness. Every one of us is looking for peace and happiness. No matter what you do, you're looking for peace and happiness. You get married, you have children, you buy a house, you get a job, you study. Everything, the end goal, no matter what you do, is peace and happiness. Even if you do charity work, you're doing it to give you some peace and happiness. So even going on the journey, the result is peace and happiness, which is what you're looking for. It's easier to get on this journey than it is in the world with everything you're trying to achieve. And the reason for that, any idea what the reason for that is? Yeah, Tamash? We have some understanding, Brahman. Brahman, understanding. What, the other reason is that everything you do in the world is impermanent. It's changing. You think you're all right today. Tomorrow is another day. You're happy today. Tomorrow is another day. You're unhappy today. Tomorrow is another day. Everything is changing. But when you embark on this journey, it's permanent. The knowledge, as long as you have the knowledge, Happiness and peace is permanent. There's less chance of you going from one side to the other side. And that's the difference. Knowledge anchors you with knowledge of found, the foundation of your own personality, your own self, knowledge of the world. When you have that, nothing in the world bothers you. You have an understanding. To the point where even death doesn't bother you. I've got cancer. I've got a month to live. So be it. I look forward to my next life. Who knows? It might be a promotion. That's how you would look at it. What, what makes you think that it won't be a promotion? I've done a lot of good deeds. Cause and effect works. The law of cause and effect, I'm looking forward to my next life. Why would that even bother you, death? This is how this knowledge anchors you. No matter how much money and what size house you got, yeah, and how famous you are, that's not going to help you, is it? Who's going to take my money? Who's going to take my house? All these followers on Instagram, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, more agitations. Peace and happiness is more permanent. When you understand the world, you understand your life, you understand Brahman. Any questions? Okay, we digress a bit, but that's okay because you know this in this chapters now, there'll be a lot of chewing and throwing from to the basics. Just to give you some understanding. Okay, Ravi, where are we? Because I've got no idea. Um, reality is that which persists, which exists in all periods of time, remains the same in the past, present, and future. Reality exists both as manifest and unmanifest, as structure and substratum. The world arises out of reality, exists in reality, merges ultimately into reality. As waves arise, exist and merge into the ocean. The waves are nothing but water. So is the world nothing but the reality, Brahman. 
Reality means what existed in the past, present and future. Stay sane throughout. And we covered this. The world doesn't stand the test of reality. The world comes from reality, exists in reality, and then becomes one with reality. The world is Brahman. An example is given. Just as waves arise from the ocean, they take form, different size, different shape. They exist for a short period and then merge back into the ocean. Similarly, the wave is us, the individual person. We are born. We exist for a short time, then we merge back to the reality. We're just part of this reality. We just temporarily have an individuality. Just like a wave has a temporary individuality, a small wave, big wave, short wave. They all, the waves have a bit of a temporary reality. Similarly, we all have a temporary reality individuality, just like a wave. Is a wave significant in the whole scheme of the ocean? How significant is one wave in the whole of the ocean? It isn't, is it, Vijay? No significance. We are insignificant in the whole scheme of things. Just like the wave. The world is just Brahman, just as all the oceans are just water. So there you go. Everyone's self importance is gone. <laughs> you become this more. What a comparison. This is comparisons come from Upanishads, by the way, these examples. This is self-realized souls explaining what life is compared to Brahman. Any questions? Does everyone understand that example? Wave is born, exists, and dies. Human beings are born, exists, and dies. Insignificant. You know who I am? Insignificant. I am the President of the United States. Insignificant. Next paragraph. Brahman is the entities that cannot eternities. Be, eternities that cannot be conceived, defined described. Yet great souls, having realized Brahman, have given various indications as to its infinite nature. These serve as pointers to the unknown reality, as arcs in geometry serve to fix the location of a point. An unknown point X is said to be four inches from a known point a, and five inches from another known point B. You can then fix the location of X by striking two arcs with a compass measuring four and five inches respectively from A and B. The intersection of the two arcs would be the location of X. Thus the following indicative definitions help conceptualize to an extent the inconceivable Brahman. Some pointers are now going to be given by self-realized souls so that we can gain some idea of this infinite nature of Brahman. He gave an idea of people who know maps to find the location. Yeah, you've all done it in our map when we were young in school. You get a compass and you draw two arcs. Where the arcs cross, that is the point. Yeah, we've all done it in us. We've probably forgotten. Similarly, what they're saying is these descriptions help us gain some idea of this unimaginable Brahman. It's what is described 
in the Upanishads by self-realized souls. They're written about the experience and this state, the state of self-realization and Brahman. So we're going to go through a few descriptions of what Brahman reality is all about. As you said, we can't understand it, but this will give us some idea. And there's about 15 points we're going to go through. Ekam one, Brahman, the Supreme God, is said to be one. There exists nothing but the one reality, Brahman. The pluralistic phenomena is a superimposition upon that one. Yet Brahman remains the same. Just as the mind remains one, even as the pluralistic pluralistic phenomena of dream objects and beings arise from it. We've covered this already. Unlike the world which is pluralistic, meaning made of pairs of opposites, heat and cold, birth and death, there exists nothing but the one reality. Only Brahman exists, the one God. The world is a superimposition on Brahman. Brahman, Brahman remains the same. We've covered that, so I'm not going to go into more detail. Next one. Advayam, non-dual. The definition of the reality being one creates the impression of a boundary around it, which means that something exists beyond it. Since nothing exists other than Brahman, it cannot strictly be defined as one, hence said to be non-dual. So as not to cause confusion that there may be something else besides Brahman because if you attribute, attribute the term one if you say one then there is a possibility there is something else so the term non-dual is applied to get some idea that there's only that only Brahman See, the mind automatically thinks, if there's one, then there must be something else. Why use one? So non-dual. Nothing else. You'll see it everywhere. Non-dual. God is described as non-dual. They can't say one. Formless. Nirakara. Formless. Megla. An object takes a form where there is something other than the material of the object beyond its boundary. If there is nothing other than the object to define its boundary, it can have no form. Anything all pervading cannot have a form. Since Brahman alone exists, there is nothing other than Brahman to create its form, hence considered formless. Brahman is all-pervading, there are no boundaries. Only Brahman exists, it has no form. Therefore considered formless. So you can't even imagine what Brahman might look like, because it has no form. So we have all these pictures of God in our temple, in our mandir, our home. But Brahman is formless. This is what it's saying. There is no form to Brahman, mass of consciousness. Sarvagatam. All pervading. Sarvagatam, all pervading. Brahman alone exists, nothing else. It pervades everywhere. If not so, there would be a place it has not accessed. That would restrict it, limit it. Since Brahman is limitless, infinite, it has to be all-pervading. Brahman has no limits and is infinite. And since only Brahman exists, there is nothing else. It is all-pervading. Nishkalanki Narayan, Shilabin has said. Another description for Brahman. It doesn't matter what description you use for Brahman. 
if it gives you some idea, all well and good. Any questions as we go through these? Just please raise your hands, yeah? I'm, I'm not going to be stopping. So, uh, Nirguna, attributeless. Substances have properties, qualities, attributes. They are perishable. If attributes are given to Brahman, it would be reduced to a substance and rendered perishable. Since Brahman is not a perishable substance, it is attributeless. Brahman has no attributes, no qualities, no characteristics. And it's not perishable, unlike everything in the world. We are born and we die, we're perishable. Everything in the world is perishable. So Brahman is described as attributeless. If you give Brahman attributes, then it becomes a substance and therefore perishable. Attributeless. No qualities, no attributes, no characteristics. You're getting an idea now of what Brahman is? At least you have a slightly 1% better idea than before class. That's a big number. Big now. Aksharam, imperishable. Every object and being has a beginning and an end, birth and death. The terrestrial world is an expression of creation and destruction, but Brahman is transcendental beyond the terrestrial, not subject to birth and death, hence imperishable. world is made of pairs of opposites, creation and destruction, but Brahman is beyond the world. Therefore, therefore not subject to the pairs of opposites. It's not subject to the laws of the world, to birth and death. Therefore, Brahman is described as imperishable. No birth and death. We, we have birth and death, not Brahman. Magna. Aja, unborn. Brahman, Atman, is not born when beings are born, nor does it die when beings die. It always was and is it always was, is, and will ever be, with no beginning or end, hence considered unborn. Brahman is not born or unborn like beings. It has always been there and it will always be there, hence unborn. Just as waves are born and they die, but the ocean remains the same. Similarly, we are born, we die, but Brahman remains the same. No changes. The world goes through changes. So Brahman is unborn. Next one. Nitya, eternal. Eternal means beyond time. Time is the interval between two experiences, as distance is between two points. There can be no distance at a point. There has to be more than one point to create an idea of distance. A minimum of two points is necessary to measure distance. So it is with time. There can be no concept of time at the first experience. With the second experience alone is time born since two are required to measure that, measure time. That perhaps is the reason for the unit of time to be termed second. Time therefore arises with the second experience. But Brahman being the source of all experiences existed at the very first. Hence said to be before time, trans time, timeless, eternal. Time is the measurement between two experiences. That's why it's called second. You can only measure time at the second point. Does everyone understand that? 
if you want to measure distance, you need two points to measure distance. Any experience, time is a measurement only of the second point, second experience. Brahman is the source of all experiences. Brahman existed before time itself and has existed at the very first, therefore considered eternal. In fact, another way of looking at this, time is part of the world. We covered this. Brahman is not the world, is Brahman is not part of this world. The world is a projection on Brahman. The movie starts and finishes in two hours. The screen remains there all the time. So it's regarded as eternal. Another pointer for you to understand Brahman. Next one, Nick. Nirvikara, changeless. Brahman, Atman, remains changeless in and through the changes occurring in the equipments it enlivens. The body, mind and intellect change continuously. These changes are perceptible because of the presence of the changeless substratum, the Atman that supports them all. Body, mind, intellect are constantly changing. Even now, you just joined this class 45 minutes ago, you have changed. But this change is noticeable due to the changeless substratum Brahman, your Atman. And even though Brahman enlivens the equipments, Brahman remains changeless. See, for any change to appear, you need a changeless background. You're flying on a plane. You look out the window. Yeah. There has to be a, st a static background for you to understand that you're flying. You're going on a train. You look out the window, you only know that you're moving because of the changeless background. That's static. That's why you know how fast you're moving. Similarly, all that changes that happen to us due to the living factor, Brahman, Atman. Atman is changeless. That's why we understand that we're changing because of Atman. It's a bit more harder to get your head around that one. You'll have to think about that one. But we change. Brahman, Atman is changeless. Next one. Nirmala, stainless. Stainless means pure, immaculate. A substance is pure when the material of the substance is not mixed with anything else. For example, a sample of gold is pure only when there is no material but gold in it. If other material is mixed with it, it becomes impure. Brahman is said to be ever pure since there exists nothing other than Brahman. There can be no contamination in Brahman, hence stainless. Stainless, a pure immaculate substance has a stain if there is something else mixed in it. It becomes impure. Gold is 24, 24 carat, but normally it's 22. Why? Because it has some other material in it. It's not pure gold. Brahman is pure, stainless, since there is nothing other than Brahman. Only pure Brahman exists. Another pointer. So it's pure. We're using words that we're used to. Words of the world to try and explain the unknown. Hence, it takes more effort to understand it. Next one. Anandam, infinite. Things and beings of the world have a beginning and an end. They are all finite. They arise out of, exist in, and merge into Brahman. Brahman is the substratum upon which the worlds appear and disappear. It is beginningless, endless, infinite. We've already covered this. World and everything it contains is finite, limited. They come from Brahman and become one with Brahman. But Brahman is infinite, endless. 
There is no limitations to Brahman. There's limitations to the world. Limitations on us. Everything in the world. But Brahman is infinite. Okay, we've got four more. I think we'll finish it today. So we can start a new topic. I know half of you are falling asleep, but we'll just go for it. Jnanam, knowledge. Brahman is absolute, pure knowledge. The knowing principle with which everything becomes known. People have the knowledge of sight, sound, smell, taste and touch. Also the knowledge of joy and sorrow, of thought and idea. These are all conditioned knowledge. Knowledge defined by perception, emotion and thought. Whereas Brahman is knowledge undefined, unconditioned. None can possess knowledge of Brahman. It is knowledge per se, unrelated to anything. Very interesting. Knowledge. Brahman is the ultimate pure knowledge. Everything we know of the world is gained through our own perceptions, our own senses, our own emotions and thought. It is conditioned knowledge, conditioned by our own personality, your own individual equipments, your individual body, mind, intellect, your own senses. Everyone sees things differently. So everything you know in the world is conditional knowledge, conditioned by your own personality. Saying Brahman is unconditioned, unconditioned knowledge. It's got nothing to do with the world, none related to the world. Does that make sense to everyone? Does that make sense? You see the world differently from Ravi. So you're both next to each other, that's why I'm giving example. Ravi sees the world differently, you see the world differently. Conditioned by your own personality, your mind and intellect, your vastness. Brahman is unconditioned. Therefore, very difficult, impossible to understand. Pure knowledge. Any knowledge you have is conditioned by your personality in the world. Next one. Anandam, bliss. The pleasures derived from objects and beings of the world are fleeting, ephemeral. Whereas the bliss of self-realization is absolute, eternal. It is the ultimate goal of human evolution. The enlightened enjoys the uninterrupted, uninterrupted supreme bliss. Happiness, as we said, we get from objects and beings in the world are not permanent. We covered this. It's fleeting, passing. Your mind gets neutralized to that happiness. The happiness one gets from self-realization is everlasting. There is no higher happiness. This is the goal of all human beings. Any questions? You okay with that? Pure happiness, still. So this thing about knowledge, uh, Brahman is absolute. So if we're conditioned by, if I'm conditioned by my own perceptions and thoughts and things, and this knowledge of Brahman is also through my perception and thoughts and Will I ever understand the purity? Because if I'm already contaminated, it's like telling Coca-Cola, do you know your water? Yeah, good question. Will Coca-Cola ever understand? Good question. Talking about conditional knowledge, 
Will she ever understand? The answer is no. This knowledge of Brahman will always be conditional. Everything we've covered today, everyone will understand it differently. The only way is to become Brahman. This is when you become unconditioned. The only way is to go through that experience of self-realization. When then you drop everything, all conditioning of the world, and you become unconditioned Brahman. So until then, everything you understand about Brahman is conditioned. And right now, what we're studying is accounts of people who've reached that state, who've reached that unconditioned state. The whole of the Upanishads are statements from self-realized souls. And that's why we find it difficult to understand. Because we're all coming from a conditional state, and this is unconditioned knowledge. So we find it extremely difficult to understand it. This is why we find it difficult to understand it. Because we're not there. We're still in the world. And we're reading statements about unknown from someone who's reached that state. How can we understand? We can only get some idea until we get to that state. And this is what this journey is about. Just as the dreamer will never know that he's a, it's a dream world. You with me, still? Does everyone understand where, what she asked, Settle asked? Yes, she's right. We will never become, we'll never understand. Just as a dreamer can only understand a waker, when he becomes the waker, we can only understand Brahman, unconditioned Brahman, when we become Brahman. And emerge with that reality. Remember the example I gave last week, the Ganges, the Thames, the Nile, they all have individuality. But once they become one with the ocean, where is the individuality? Can you tell that this water is from the Ganges, this water is from the Nile when it hits the ocean? You cannot. It becomes one with the ocean. Similarly, we right now have an individuality. When we experience that state of self-realization, become one with Brahman, then we are part of that totality. Yeah. You have another question? Yeah. So if we're all conditioned, mm -hmm. are there levels of conditioning? Who would like to answer that? Are there levels of conditioning? Yes, they are. Okay, explain. Just as the Thames is a river, that's a condition of what we term it as. The sea is the open, is everything mixed. That's another condition we call it. It's us understanding where it is and what it is. Anybody else? Different levels of conditioning. See, most of you who came across this subject, before you came across this subject, you're more conditioned by the by your ignorance, your lack of understanding. You are more conditioned, you can say. Now, after one year of lockdown, and you have to listen to me every Sunday morning talking about this subject, you now feel slightly less conditioning. You have some knowledge of Brahman now. Before you had none, you knew God, or you thought you knew God, and you weren't wrong, you did know God, but now you know God more. You know this world is an illusion, it's what is being told. So your conditioning has been reduced. You're less conditioned. Everyone's conditioned and unconditioned is different because all of you started from a different point. Runaben, when she came, she may be 80% conditioned. Shilabhan, when she came, maybe 85% conditioned. Dermesh, when he came, maybe 90% conditioned. So all starting point is different. So now you've interacted with this subject, your conditioning is less, hopefully. Otherwise you wasted your time. 
So there is different levels of conditioning, or shall we say different levels of ignorance. Another way of putting it, different level of ignorance. So I hope, yeah. Yeah, so my lack of understanding, lack of knowledge, and the ignorance that I had causes my conditioning. Yes. And the more understanding I gain, the more knowledge I gain, the more I remove my ignorance, Absolutely. the more unconditioned I become. Absolutely. Is everyone okay with that? We'll stop there. We've got a couple more left, but Sorry. I want to... No, it's okay. They're good questions, and uh, I think everyone benefits from these questions. You know, um, so it's it's good. Um, but we'll cover the last two points and then start the next topic um, next week. Any other clarifications? Yeah. I just so want to say something to that as we're covering these topics today, I've actually had goosebumps, and uh, the the verse that you started with Om Purnamidam I do recite it every day, but with today's knowledge, I think my recital will be more clarified for why am I doing it? Because after every prayer, we say this. And it's just, I'm telling you, actually I'm so emotional today and shaky just listening to this. And I thank you for this, real for self. giving me this experience. Yeah. See, knowledge of the real self, your real personality, your real self, it's going to move you. You know, it's, you're going to be emotional. That you found out for the first time who you really are. You've all been in ignorance, thinking you're this body, mind, intellect. And now you're learning that you're not this personality. You're part of this totality. It's going to move you. Whole life, a lot of people go for a whole lifetime not knowing this. And this is what we're all searching for. So, absolutely. It will move you, this knowledge. It has the ability to move mountains. Shalom. I'll leave you all to it this Sunday. Thank you for joining us.